Welcome to Untold Stories Podcast. I'm your host, Osama Gawish. Did you experience fleeing your home country because of your opinions? Did you hear about people who crossed the sea in a dinghy, risking their lives to find a safe place? Did you meet this man who started from scratch in a new country, different language, no friends, no family, and no work? Let me introduce them to you. Their names are refugees, and I'm proudly one of them. In 2020, I was looking to restart my journalism career in the United Kingdom after my refugee status. It was hard to know what and where is the right start. Pitching ideas to editors, no one replying me, applying for job opportunities without any feedback. I was frustrated and thought there was no place for refugee journalists like me in the UK media industry. A few days later, a friend of mine sent me an exciting opportunity, the Refugee Journalism Project, an initiative looking for refugee journalists in the UK. I said, wow, it was like a dream. So they support refugee journalists. What were the criteria? I asked my friend. He said, Osama, look, you are eligible. Just apply and wait. I was lucky I joined the project in 2020. I met with experts, journalists, filmmakers, and podcasters. I learned how to pitch an idea for publications and reach out to the right editors. In addition, I was lucky to attend the six-month fellowship program in Hot Topics and Journalism.co.uk through the Refugee Journalism Project. Today, I'm here with you on Colin, hosting my podcast in English, which is my second language, as you know, thanks to the Refugee Journalism Project, of course. So, to learn more about the Refugee Journalism Project and what are the main challenges facing refugee journalists in the United Kingdom, let me welcome my guest in this episode. Our first guest, Vivian Francis, is a reader and senior lecturer in social justice journalism and knowledge exchange at London College of Communication. She founded the Refugee Journalism Project, an initiative that supports forcibly displaced and exiled journalists to reconnect with their career in the United Kingdom. It focuses on helping them become better connected within the industry, updating their journalistic skills and getting more of their voices into the mainstream press. Prior to joining academia, Vivian worked as a producer with the BBC and as a print journalist at the Voice newspaper group. Her journalistic work has focused on issues such as death in custody, inequalities in the secondary education system and miscarriages of justice. Vivian, thank you very much for joining me today. Just thank, thank you, thank you, thank you, Osama. Um, thank you so much for inviting me to join you. I almost feel quite embarrassed that you've come to me first because um, I think you know I've got the I've had the luxury of not being persecuted for for my work um, as a journalist. Um, but you know, so I've got incredible. Um, you know, admiration for people like you. Um, and, and secondly, I'm embarrassed because I only speak English. So, you know, again, um, <laughs> I'm always in awe of people who are able to um, move to the UK and um, pick up a journalism career in what is often their first, sorry, their second, third or fourth language. Yeah, thank you very much, Vivian. And we will talk about these challenges uh, shortly. And let me welcome our second guest in this episode. Abdul Wahab Tahan is a lecturer and comedian and the host of the award-winning podcast, Integrate That. He kicked off the second season just yesterday. 
He raised in Syria. Abdul joined the Refugee Journalism Project in 2015 and has been working on issues about integration. Abdul Hab, thank you very much for joining me today. Hey, thank you for having me. Uh, by the way, Osama, uh, can you please pay us hand in cash, uh, cash in hand, sorry, so we don't pay taxes? Uh, to the HMRC. <laughs> this is a joke. If the HMRC is listening to us, please don't audit my account. <laughs> we will come to this shortly and talk about if this is a big challenge for us here in this country or not. Let me welcome our third guest in this episode, Hilal Seven. Studied, she studied business at Istanbul University. Her journalism focuses on migration in Turkey and the Middle East. She has worked with international journalists from all over the world reporting on the impact of the Syrian civil war in the southeast of Turkey. In 2016, she moved to the UK, where she has attended an internship with Marie Claire UK, in which one of her stories was longlisted for one World Media Awards. She has produced a radio program called Esbar Pozan, and previously she was a participant in the Refugee Journalism Project, and currently she is a trainee reporter at The Times. Hilal, thank you very much for joining me today. If you just unmute yourself, Hilal, please, I can't hear you. Hello, Osama. Hello. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, can you hear me? I was trying to yes. mute myself. <laughs> um, yeah, I so can hear you. Thank you for having me. It's, it's great to be your guest here. And congratulations for your podcast. Um, yeah, very great introduction. Um, and hi to everybody else, whoever listens to us. Uh, thank you. I'm a bit excited, sir. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, thank you, Alal. And... jokes about HMRT. Thank you. <laughs> okay, and let, let me start with you, Vivian. Um, the Refugee Journalism Project. Why did you found this initiative? Um, so basically, um, looking back, um, it really started in 2015. Um, I was doing some voluntary work with um, an NGO working on um, a media project. And I was coming into contact with people who um, were very experienced journalists, but essentially they were doing voluntary work. And there was that real palpable sense of frustration that their experience and their knowledge and their expertise um, wasn't really being utilised in the UK. Um, most were unemployed, some were Uber drivers, some were sort of working in stocking shelves. Not that there's anything wrong with that, that type of work, but it was just that sense that these are people who had been editors, who had been directors, who had been presenters. And I just felt with my background in journalism, with my contacts, um, there was more that I could do. But also at the same time, I was um, lecturing young journalism students um, in the UK and they were really motivated by what was happening um, in Syria and the huge displacement that was happening and many of them wanted to do things like, you know, go to Greece, go to France, go to Calais um, and report on what was happening. And whilst I, you know, I, I commend that, there's a certain element of, of kind of refugee tourism that's involved in that. And I think also there was a big story unfolding in the UK. Um, but also I think I wanted to find a way of 
bringing them um, closer to the story so that they understand understood some of the stories and some of the issues firsthand. So so that's really how it came about. Yeah, and um, the first year for the Refugee Journalism Project, how many participants joined you? Um, we we had um, roughly 20. I think every year we try to take, um, or every cycle of the project, we try to take um, around about 20. That's kind of a manageable um, number of people to work with. Um, essentially, we are, um, it, it's myself and another person who work on the project part-time we work a lot with um, external trainers external organizations Um, the project's actually embedded within the university so we have a certain amount of structural support um, for the work that we do um, because of that but essentially it's quite a small project so I'd say you know we work with roughly 20 people um, per cycle yeah, and Abdul, I think you were in the first uh, year of the, the project or the second year? Um, Abdul, I will invite you to speak. Just to press accept my invitation. You will be with us again. Yeah, and before you answer, I just want to say to our listeners, you can join the, the discussion, ask a question or make a contribution. Just press the call button and you will be held in the call or the queue and then the floor will be yours. Uh, yeah, Abdul, uh, you were the first year of the, the project or the second one? Yeah, uh, sorry about that. I think I'm getting no better because my when I wanted to press the unmute, I pressed leave the spe- leave, uh, <laughs> speaker. Um, I don't know, man. It does happen. This it does COVID, happen. It, this COVID is getting to me. Uh, yeah, so for your question, I started uh, 2015. I was uh, among the first group. And I remember the first day I arrived and I met uh, Vivian and the other person she's talking to. And we are still friends on, uh, we still talk to each other after seven years. It was, um, I was not living in London and I heard about this project uh, from a friend of mine who are looking for uh, refugees who have a background in journalism. And I applied and I had an interview and she, uh, the, the the other person, um, her name is, um, I, uh, I forgot, total forgot. Tessa. Tessa, I think that she's my, I said she's French, hmm. but kind of, you see, you see why people. Yeah, Vivian has a like, strong memory, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, so, so I talked to Tessa, she gave me an interview to, to ask me about my experience. And after the interview, she said, yeah, welcome. And then I went uh, to the orientation. There were a lot of other uh, journalists. Uh, most of them were really experienced people, more experienced than me. And I was really glad to be the mm. least experienced person in the room uh, because then I can learn a lot from other people. So it was, yeah, that was the, the, the nice things. And then we started, you know, our, our kind of workshops and stuff to learn. And a lot of people now work in, uh, some, some of them, not a lot of them, uh, work in TV stations, uh, doing some freelance uh, journalism, um, and uh, yeah, that's it. Yeah, I, I will come shortly to the impact of the project to the uh, refugee journalists who joined this uh, project. But Hilal, um, I want to hear from you. You are a migrant from Turkey, and you joined the project. Um, if you just brief the story, how you joined the project, um, when and where you heard about the refugee journalism project. Sure. Thank you very much for the question, Osama. So, um, also, I had a friend um, that he was a like previous participant of the project. His name is Kemal Gyoktaş. 
he actually told me about this project and then we were um i was just telling him that i was looking for some project exactly like the, the refugee journalism project and he said why don't you just apply to one that i'm you know participant of it and then i did it so that's the story of me hmm. and uh when the first time you met with vivian yeah, i mean actually so they had a it's not the first, when I first met Vivian, it was when the Refugee Journalism Project had this uh, event called Liminality. So I was there to help a friend, uh, an artist friend from, a Kurdish artist friend from Turkey, Zehra Doğan, who was also invited to the Liminality um, hmm. event. So I was there to translate Zehra, you know, <laughs> to be her translator. And then I met Vivian and Veronica there. and. But after a while, I applied for the, you know, project to uh, become a participant of it. And in 2020, we met online. I think that's the time when actually Vivian re- remembers me. Yeah. yeah. And, and Vivian, five years ago, you set the goals and the purposes of this project. What were the initial goals? Just supporting refugee journalists and introducing them to the industry in the United Kingdom or what? Well, it was um, it, it was that, but it was also trying to have some sort of impact on the industry itself because I think I was also motivated, like like many people, by some of the really negative ways in which migrants were being represented. So, um, you know, we thought about what we could do to tackle some of that, and I think some of it is about um, allowing people to tell their own story. It's about um, having, you know, ways in which you can support journalists to make sure they speak to the right people. Um, So some of the research that's been done in this area suggests that, you know, certainly, you know, five, six years ago, um, when there was a story about migration, it was Mm. very common to speak to the experts, but but actually, you know, what can be more insightful in a story is by speaking to the people who are actually um, directly impacted by what, what's happening. So I think, you know, there were there were multiple of, of different um, ambitions of, of the work that we were doing. Hmm. But, you know, as, as a refugee, I'm, I'm talking from my own experience, um, the refugee, when they come to the UK or any European countries, we, we had a lot of... Um, a plenty of problems, mental health issues, um, loss of confidence, the language barrier. It, we, we are starting from scratch in everything. No friends, no family, no work. How did you manage to, to solve these problems and to help refugee journalists to rebuilding their self-confidence, to overcome the mental health, uh, the mental health issues and so on? Well, to be honest with you, I think I've, I, I admit I, I've learned a lot on the way. And I think particularly with the first cohort, you know, we got very excited when we were talking to um, big global media companies about the project we were doing and the, and the potential of them um, offering internships, offering work to people with a, a refugee background. But actually what really struck me was um, the things that you talk about um, – Yes, um, you guys come with lots of experience, but there's also the the huge challenge of what you've experienced in terms of um, the emotional impact of being separated from loved ones, um, you know, being alone in the UK, having the language barrier, um, 
seeing some of that negative media about people just because of your 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 immigration status um so i think that was a real sort of surprise to me and a real eye opener to me and i think when people talk about what's the impact of the work you do i i'm more proud about those sorts of areas because i'm more proud of our human response rather than oh okay we got someone some work at bloomberg or whatever that's great but i think definitely um it's it's more important to um support people um so that they're able to get on with their lives um and they're able to feel um have the confidence that they they can do it i think i i really enjoy the feedback that we get from participants that you know their sense of confidence their sense of worth within the uk has has shifted through their engagement with our project that that kind of really matters to me more than um okay people want to get into journalism and they get into journalism yeah um, abdul rahab i remember the first time i met you online during um, my time in the project i inspired by your experience you came from syria you flee your country and then you speak english fluently and you're um, hosting a podcast in english integrate that so l- let me ask you if if we go back to to your time at the project what's the most aspect that you enjoyed and loved during the refugee journalism project uh, i think the aspect that i loved the most was networking um uh, i learned one thing one thing that i really learned is that CVs don't get you the jobs in England, especially in journalism. Um, yeah. Networking gets you the job. Uh, I never said no to any invitation, whatever it is. Um, and that was <laughs> that was how I got the jobs that I got and the invitations and everything. Uh, so when I first arrived, um, I spoke English and I was very, very, very confident. I didn't have any you know confidence issues. Um, of course, I have some mental issues. But no confidence uh, issues at all. I was so confident, um, but I couldn't find pretty much any job. You know, again, you don't get jobs from applying, sending your CV. So hmm. the first job I got in England. Uh, are we allowed to swear on your podcast? <laughs> Because I need to know so, to tell the, the next story. So the first, the the first job I got in England was actually cleaning shit. I was actually cleaner cleaning um, uh, dorms uh, at the University of Southampton. So I was actually cleaning toilets. Uh, And I really uh, enjoyed it because it was a job uh, that provided me. And then uh, whenever I could travel and then started working in Starbucks just to make some money. And then whenever I could travel to London to attend these uh, events uh, that Vivian set, I would really go. Uh, and from there, from attending pretty much every event, networking, uh, people started to recognize me, to see me. Um, and then, you know, um, something can, can, I, can I ask you regarding the networking, Abdul? Mm-hmm. How did you network with expert people? Just m- send a message on Twitter, emailing them, calling them. If you just explain this, because I, did, I think this is a fundamental point for every refugee journalist here in the UK. Well, the, the networking was awesome because, again, because that was before COVID. So before COVID, when, whenever we were told that we are going to go, to, for example, to Google uh, and we're going to meet uh, XYZ, these people. So I would Google them 
and uh, follow them on Twitter, read a little bit about them. And then when we go there to the event, most people are shy. Most people wouldn't really, really go out and talk to people. I'm, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, I'm not shy. I think I come across as a little bit rude. <laughs> so I would go out um, and talk to these people, introduce myself, uh, you know, ask them what they're looking for, what I'm looking for, you know, just, you know, just to let everyone know that, hey, I'm here. I'm available. Um, I'm an expert in XYZ. I, yeah. I'm happy to provide my expertise. And did these people welcome you? And these people welcomed me face to face. When you're talking to these people face to face, they're very welcoming. Um, but not everyone, you know, follows up. Uh, but if I hear of something that is happening in, in their organization, I would follow them up. Mm. Or sometimes they would reach out to me and they tell me, "Hey, we're interested in this. Are you interested?" There's something, uh, you know, about this. Are you interested to come for a talk or something? And one thing leads to another. I will um, conclude with this example. When I wanted to make it the, the, the podcast, um, I heard about uh, some people who are interested in podcasting. So I started pitching my podcast to them from the BBC, The Guardian, and other places. Things didn't work there, but they put me in touch with someone who was actually a mentor at the Refugee Journalism Project yeah. and taught me a lot of things and became my mentor as well and helped me set up my podcast. So while networking did not help me get uh, any funding for my podcast, from networking and meeting these people, I was able to make my podcast. Great. And Hilal, what, what about you regarding the networking? Did the people you try to network here in the, the UK industry welcome you and just give you the advice and they are reachable or not? Well, um, yeah, I think it's, it's a very good question. So, I mean, it's like a, it's answer is like becoming something different every day. Like I used to think like, yeah, so it should be easy. Like, you know, just send them an email and then follow up an email and it's, follow them on Twitter and then in the time I said like no send them like 10 emails you know try to you know <laughs> mention them on Twitter and try to get their contact you know and then find them in LinkedIn and do more and in a time so I'm in a point where I say you know just send the best email ever you can send in a few words only so basically like become the best version of yourself as a journalist just to try to contact those people because those are the people who don't have time, you know, necessarily. So they will have only like two minutes to get back to you. I think this is what I learned in almost like six years. <laughs> and what about the mentorship phase during the refugee journalism project for yourself? Yeah, it was, it was great. I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't think I only needed the help of my like mentor and journalism, uh, refugee journalism project. I was talking to Vivian every day and I was talking to other participants. I think it was a, uh, it was a great uh, process of work that everybody somehow contributed to that process. So um, I was asking like, it's our job, isn't it? So we were just asking questions nonstop to each other. Like, how do you do that? How do you know that people, how to, you know, you know, how to get a job in the UK? So what do you think about is language is a barrier? Those kind of questions. I think just asking the, those vital questions somehow helped, and I took the benefit. D did you have a proper answer for this question, Hilal? How uh, do you get a job in the UK? 
<laughs> I think not even like LinkedIn people they can answer this question. I don't know. I, I'm not sure if I'm you know. I mean, if I'm the best person to answer that, but I'm still asking that question. Yeah, Vivian, do you have an answer for this question? Uh, no, no, I don't. Not one that you would like. I haven't got the magic answer. But I think the the common thing, there's, there's two things, really. Firstly, it's important to remember that journalism is such a tough industry to get into. I always say that, you know, I wouldn't, I'm, I'm glad none of my children want to be journalists because it's just impossible, <laughs> whether you're born in the UK or not. Um, but what I would say, it, it's common with the three of you, actually, it's, it's being proactive. So although, you know, mentoring and networking are really good and they're essential within the industry, I think you need to be very proactive with them so you know it's with, with the networking it's really only going to work if you have something to offer and so you know that thing can be an idea it can be contacts co co um, contacts but I think you know you you really have to put yourself out there and be proactive the opportunities are not going to come to you they're not going to fall on on your lap um, and I think that's that's the common thing with the three of you um, that I've observed yeah and it, it Abdul and Hilal mentioned the, the mentorship phase during the Refugee Journalism Project. And for myself, it was one of the most um, valuable phase during the project. And through my mentor, uh, he helped me to write for The Guardian. And I did a freelance work with The Guardian for my first, uh, for, for first time in my life. So what are the phases of the Refugee Journalism Project, Vivian, if you can explain Okay. Can I also say that, you know, I, I, I accept that the mentoring helped, but I think you also had ideas, Osama. I think, you know, you didn't go with, with nothing. You had something that the Guardian wanted. So I think, you know, it's not, you know, you haven't, you can't cut yourself out of that loop. Thank you. Um, Thank you very much. <laughs> and, and you worked incredibly hard. Um, but I think in, in terms of what we offer, we offer sort of a series of workshops. Um, and through those workshops, we're hoping to build on existing expertise and skills that our participants have, but also perhaps introduce new ones. But also the workshops, we deliver some of the workshops with organisations. So we do a lot with the Guardian Foundation. And so there are masterclasses that are led by Guardian journalists. Um, we also um, have a series of um, or will be delivering a series of workshops with Bloomberg. And again, um, some of the Bloomberg journalists um, are involved in the delivery of those workshops and why that's important because it again it's a it's an opportunity for our participants to come in direct contact with the industry and gain those real insights into what it takes to to pitch to the guardian or what it takes to to get a job at bloomberg um, so we offer workshops but we also um, partner our participants with a mentor so those mentors are generally people who have achieved a certain level within the uk industry Industry and we try to match people's, um, you know, interests and, and expertise with with um, the right person. Um, and, and their role, as you've described, Asama, is just to really give guidance. So it could be helping with applications, helping with pitches, hmm. helping the person to just figure out where they're area of interest or expertise sits within the UK um, market or it could be you know an independent piece of journalism like Abdul's podcast um, and we're also we also try and find publishing or 
um, work opportunities. So um, for those who are very new to journalism, um, who need to develop their English, we run our, we have our own um, website, which I think you've all contributed to. So yeah. it's a way that, you know, you can test the water and, and write that first piece or create that first piece um, of journalism in English right to the other end of people who, um, you know, who become fellows and who work for a period of time with organisations like Bloomberg, um, uh, Thomson Reuters, etc. And when I listen to to you, um, Vivian, and from my experience during the project, uh, every workshop and every expert from Bloomberg, from The Guardian, and when they talk um, to us, I, I was full the hope I will secure a job after the project. I will find the opportunity to work in the industry. And even with the fellowship, I attended six months um, in Hot Topics and in journalism.co.uk. However, after that, the reality is totally different. There is a minimum opportunities in the industry. How, how do you explain that? Um, I mean, as I said, it's not just um, unique to um, to you or your experience or your background. I do think um, journalism um, in the UK, I can only speak from the UK, I, I don't really have much of a global perspective. It, it's competitive. I think there are um, limited opportunities. Um, I, I've been a academic working with journalists for the last... Um, I'd say nearly 10 years. Um, and so I, every year we have graduates who, you know, some of them end up moving out of journalism. Some of them use their journalistic skills um, in other sectors. Um, so it's, it's a really tough industry to get into. Um, and I think, you know, particularly now during the pandemic, um, obviously we're in post-pandemic now, but you know, in the last couple of years, we've seen um, large organisations cutting their workforce. Um, so, so it isn't easy. Um, you know, and I think there are growth areas. So maybe financial journalism, data journalism, those are areas where, you know, that they've got a more, a, a healthier um, workforce. Um yeah. But I'd say very few people, whether it's this project or whether it's my graduates, go straight into a job. Um, people have to sort of work up their careers through developing reputations as freelancers um, or going into areas where there is a, there's a really strong sort of sense of recruitment, as I said, like um, entrepreneurial journalism or data journalism. Yeah, great. And Abdul, congratulations for your second season, Integrate That Podcast. If you just brief us about your podcast, what's the idea? Oh, yeah, sure. So the idea behind creating uh, Integrate That is that uh, pretty much in the media, uh, the mainstream media in England or generally speaking uh, in Europe, you only hear about refugees who arrive in the country. So they cover the the crisis, how a lot of refugees go to Europe and sleep in rough, uh, in, the, in, in the camps and or... So that's pretty much what you hear. Like these people are fleeing prosecution. Their their life is miserable. Or you hear about very, very, very successful people like someone like Malala who went to Oxford, right? And you now mm -hmm. she's studying in Oxford and she's so young. Or some people who, you know, I don't know, studying, um, doing rocket science. And they're like very, very successful people. So there's only these two stories exist in the media, but 
no one in the middle not nothing about me or about you or about any hmm. any refugees you meet on regular uh basis right so i thought this is missing and i needed to tell these stories uh, so i thought well there isn't any platform for it so the easiest way and the most effective way was to create a podcast because it's very intimate and i can play with audio the way i want uh, and interview people to tell me their stories so i started talking to people who are interested in telling their story and it's just a personal story of their new life so we don't really talk about their previous life we don't talk about anything we just talk about okay tell me about your life here in england or in canada or in switzerland and they tell me an aspect of their life and uh, that's how it started and regarding the integration do you think the united kingdom that the community is um welcoming refugees to be integrated and engage with the with the, the country with the activities in the country not only the journalist any refugee or migrant Well, this is a very good question, and it re- reminds me of a of a joke. I think we have in Arabic because I think most of our listeners are Arabs, hmm. so I think they will they will understand this this joke. You know, when the three people went to Europe and they came back, uh, it was uh, a sheikh and a scientist and someone who just drinks alcohol, and they hmm. asked him to describe Europe, and the sheikh said, "Oh." Europe is full of sheikhs and the drunk guy said oh it's full of drunk people and the scientist said it's full of scientists. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for something you will get it eventually. Uh, but there are a couple of things that you really need in order to integrate uh, and live well in 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 England uh, which is speaking the language and having a job. So if you're financially stable and if you can speak the language you're pretty much integrated because you have friends at uh, at work you understand the culture you get invited to cultural things a little by little you understand it does the country get out of the way does the government get out of the way to welcome refugees and make sure that they are they're integrated in the society i don't think so mm-hmm. i think the government expects people to be more proactive and do stuff other like other countries for example in germany if you claim asylum in germany and i have family members there they provide the the the, the government provides uh, language classes for free um for up to i think uh, like a year six months or a year or something like this and they provide a lot of um kind of uh, apprenticeship uh, you know uh, so they can train you again uh, education is free for example you can study again uh, there are a number of things that they do there that differently than we do it in england in england it's a little bit um conservative and hostile a little bit uh, i think british people are very 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 conservatives and keep it to their own uh, yeah. their opinions and it's really difficult to <laughs> to, to to you know to understand to, to to if you don't speak the language it's very difficult to understand this culture fully and i think this is in each country you you should speak the language of the country you're living in uh, uh, speaking for myself like i'm now in hong kong so i'm talking to you from the future it's five past five a.m right you're still uh eight hours behind me so i've been in hong kong for almost two years now i do not speak a word of the local language cantonese mm. uh, and i'm doing really fine because i have a job here i'm financially stable we speak english at the job because i teach at the university Uh, we teach uh, i speak english so 
I'm good. I, I have a lot of local people. I know a lot of local people. They're friends, and uh, we all speak English. So, um, but yeah, imagine if like I can imagine my mom here. In if my mom doesn't speak English, she only yeah. speaks Arabic. <laughs> she doesn't yeah. speak Cantonese. Yeah, good luck integrating or even buying <laughs> milk from the grocery shop. Yeah. And Hilal, what do you think about this point, the integration for refugees or refugee journalists in, in the United Kingdom? Yeah, I think it's a hard question. <laughs> because after I was running this uh, great podcast, and I think he, uh, he answered this question very nicely. But in, um, for me, I mean, it's just, I think there, there are some dilemmas. Like, imagine, like, um, like you are... You're in a country where everybody is speaking their first language and they are talking about their country that they're born to, but you are uh, the, the one who is actually not allowed to speak that language and talk about their country and the, their country's laws and everything as the way they do, you know? So it's, it's, it's quite hard um, to dream at yourself in that country that you are becoming one of them i think you have to accept the fact that you're always going to be a foreign like the journalist or just anyone mm. i think that can help um one other thing i mean why do you need to another question why do you need to integrate yourself anyway so you can can you not stay like as yourself as far as i know you don't have to speak english like perfectly in England um, just to want to live. Maybe like in journalism industry, it's, yeah, you have to, but I mean. Yeah, this is okay. my question. As a journalist, what yeah. do you think? We, we have to integrate with the community. We have to integrate with the, the country because we, we need to work as a journalist in this country, right? Definitely, definitely. Yeah, totally I agree with you. I mean, with the, with the language, I mean, you can't beat them, you know, they're the native. <laughs> I mean, like, no matter what you do, like, I mean, yeah. you can work hard. There is, there is, a, um, there is an achievement. I, I'm not saying, like, um, you won't get um, to the point that you want to be. Eventually, you will get there. Like, you have to work hard. You have to come out from your comfort zone every day. You need to do more and more because it, it's a hard task. Like, imagine... They never spoken like in any other language, but you have to be in a competition with them in their like first language. This is a, a very hard one, but you can do it. W what I heard recently from a very experienced journalist uh, of the Times um, was he said, despite the US, I mean, or the other countries, it's more about like, you know, having a great network here in the UK. It's not about like, you know, journalistic skills like, you know, writing in English or speaking. So th this is when I, you know, quite amazed. I yeah. think networking is very important. Yeah, I will back to you to just um, brief us about your experience with the time. Congratulations for the new oh, uh, role. But Vivian, <laughs> regarding the integration phase, you worked for um, the BBC for many years and now in the university or in the uh, college. What do you think? The, the, the UK is a country that helped refugee to integrate, to just engage with the, the, the country, with the language, with the industry, like journalists or not? Um, I'm, I'm 
Well, Abdul's not going to like this, and I'm I'm very impressed that he can be humorous at five a.m. in the morning. But but as someone who is also seen as the other, because ultimately, you know, I don't have a refugee background, but my my parents came over from the Caribbean in the 1950s. Um, I would say it's not as simple as being able to speak the language and having a job, because I think there there are a lot of barriers within society that do like to identify how you're different and how you don't fit in. And I think, you know, certainly within my own journalism career, I've had to navigate those barriers of being a black woman. Um, you know, I, I other people have to navigate other barriers, but I think integration is difficult even when you're born here you you if you're different you are you are continually seen as the other and you have to you have different challenges that you have to face whether that's in academia whether that's in journalism um you know whatever career path you're on I, I I do think you know it's not that straightforward as having a job and 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 learning a language okay I interviewed many refugees during this podcast and for for other uh, works, uh, Vivian, and they mention the UK industry, in the media industry, or the country, um, a kind of racist against refugees. They, they can't accept refugees, they can't accept migrants easily like other countries. Do you agree with that? Um, there are going to be, you know, we're in a society where people have different beliefs and different values they have different ideologies and you know journalism isn't different from anything else so of course you're going to have people who fundamentally believe um that we shouldn't um support uh refugees and we shouldn't support um people to get into the industry you know there is that underlying um neoliberalism within the society at the moment that suggests that if you work hard enough you'll get there and so people don't need extra support that you know if you can't do it it's because there's something wrong with you and i do think there is that within society but i wouldn't say you know generally um it's it, it's completely dominant because i think there are pockets of good activities good journalism um you know and i think just going back to abdul's example with germany yeah. um i've spoken um on a number of occasions to similar projects running in germany and i don't think it's easy there either um many of the problems they experience mirror ours in, in in actual facts i think having to learn german is harder than english for many refugees um and so uh finding work within um as a journalist in germany is is very difficult and they actually thought it was harder than than in the uk because of the language um, and I think, you know, I, I, you know, I do think it's hard and I do think there are pockets within the media that are, um, you know, racist or mm. um, prejudiced. But I don't say, you know, it's a blanket I, thing. I don't I, think, I, it's I think the project, yeah, um, the um, worked on, um, I think, a research, in-depth research regarding how the media here in the UK um, covering the refugee topics. Uh, yes, we did. Right. So, so, yeah. so six months ago, yeah. Yeah. yeah um, if if we just talk about the the, the findings uh, on this research. So, um, the 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 research, just in a nutshell, um, was basically looking at how migration was covered by 
news broadcasters. So we just looked at um, TV. I think there's been quite a lot of research looking at the print media. Um, and so we looked at things like, you know, how it represents um, migrants. And so it was the point that I made er- earlier. One of the findings was that um, very often um, the, the migrant voice isn't there and it, and it focuses on um, experts and people in authority rather than speaking to ordinary people. Um, another quite surprising um, finding, um, well, not so much surprising for anyone working in this field, but an interesting finding was that um, it was the negative um, impacts of some of the stories. So um, the stories we looked at overwhelmingly when they focused on migrants um, and we looked at migrants, uh, refugees and asylum seekers, they were concerned with um, sort of bad news, hard news. And so it meant that people's understanding of the issues of, of, of what it meant to be a migrant or refugee or asylum seeker was only through the lens of hard news. So it was about tragedy. It was about suffering. Mm. And so it was one dimensional. And so they didn't see many stories of migrants, um, you know, um, uplifting stories or stories that uh, it allowed them to be seen as complicated, multi-layered um, individuals. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we um, we saw was that um, actually those 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 are kind of the main ones that that kind of struck out to me at the time. Yeah, and uh, Abdul Wahab, regarding the stereotypes, the media here, the mainstream media in the the, the UK stereotype the refugee. Uh, as a journalist, how do you see this? Uh, well, I think um, I love it. And uh, I, just um, a quick um, uh, break from here. I know I recognize one of the people in the audience. Khaled, how are you doing? I just give a shout out to Khaled. Oh, um, our friend Khaled is um, here. Okay. And um, experienced journalist. And um, I shared Khaled, the talk with if him. You just once. accept I, my invitation, please. He will join us. And I love talking to him. Thank you. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so the, the, the mainstream media and non mainstream media, so how they stereotype people. To be honest with you, I loved uh, being stereotyped because it was it gave me a lot of material for my uh, comedy. So I now I do stand up comedy. I started doing stand up comedy in 2019 before COVID, and all of my material is based on the stereotypes that you get um, online um, or in 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 the in the media. Now, while it was it's given me a lot of material. I'm not saying this is a good thing. It's of, of course, it's awful because before I, before you meet people, the people who meet you, and once you tell them that you're a refugee, um, they will have this negative connotation. They, they have a box ready to put you in before even meeting you, just hearing your name. You know, my name is Abdul. I'm from Syria. I'm a refugee. That's it. You know, they put you in a box uh, made already it's it's Mm. very negative it's uh, not helpful a lot of people ask me a ridiculous question but i'm really happy at least that they ask they don't just keep it to themselves so is that a good thing no of course it's not because these are stereotypes and stereotypes you know are wrong they they make people make judgments and prejudice you before you even open your mouth so it's not a good thing but um one of the the good thing about it i think is that um, for me personally, of course, it, that it gave me some material for my stand-up comedy, and it helped me, you know, really with um, <laughs> reaching out to people. So whenever I see a ridiculous uh, article, 
I sent yeah. it to Vivian, and uh, we just pretty much <laughs> laugh about it. I, I do I like your answer, Abdul Wahab. <laughs> yeah, Osama, just one, one, one more thing. I remember yeah. a couple of years ago, Vivian and I attended a conference in Southbank Center in London, <laughs> and it was about the representation of refugees in media. And none of the panels had any refugees on them. So I think it's about diversity. Oh. When when a media organization is not does, is not diverse enough to have people from lots of different backgrounds, then mm. of course we will have these negative. Um, I think this is also another important topic that diversity. We will come to it shortly. But welcome, Khaled, our colleague and friend, Khaled Chalabi. He was also a participant in the Refugee Journalism Project. Khaled, if you unmute yourself, please. Uh, hello everyone. Uh, hello. Glad to be with you guys. Uh, hello Vivian. Uh, Halal. Abdulhab. Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm. Pl- it's a pleasure to to meet uh, finally with uh, with your podcast, uh, Osama. Um, yeah. It's my honor, man. Thank you. Um, Khaled, what do you think regarding the your time at the Refugee Journalism Project? We we are talking how the project impacts every one of us. We have now Abdul has his own podcast and me i'm here on colin on my podcast hilal now trainee reporter in the time and you are working with the middle east eye so how do you remember your time at the refugee journalism project uh tough question yeah so um it's an easy one man yeah it's not a tough question <laughs> no, for you guys <laughs> so yeah so yeah, um, I was already working with Middle East before the project, but uh, really, I I I, I got a very very um, unique experience uh, within the program itself. Uh, it opened minded, uh, like it opened my mind to another type of journalism that I was thinking about when I try when I decided to shift my career from aerospace engineering to journalism. Um, it helps me a lot, even to create like connection network with all um, the mentors that we uh, met through the program. Um, also, like, it gives me more, you know, a hope uh, that we might have a chance and opportunity to uh, be represented on a big organization that we heard about it before, but we never thought that might we have any opportunity with them. Um, maybe in, in the real life, um, it, it, it will take a, like a while or a time to, to, to have a reflection of that. But through the program, it gives me like an, an impression that the, those organizations uh, are willing to do a change uh, and um, like represent a diversity of um, different backgrounds of journalists uh, on their, in, internally. Um, I hope so that it may be on the right track, but yeah, uh, it was very, very positive experience, to be honest, uh, during the, the program. Brilliant. And regarding the diversity, Hilal, from Turkey, migrant to the United Kingdom, and now a trainee reporter in The Times. So oh, how do you see, yeah, how do you see that the diversity in, in the newsroom, in The Times, in a big publication in the UK? Thanks so much for the question, Osama. And hi, Khaled, how are you? Good to- yeah, thank you. you. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, well, actually, I think, I mean, my question wouldn't be so much different than, uh, you know, yours and what Vivian said earlier. I think it's like UK, the news industry, it's quite male dominant. That's, uh, I think we have a right to say that, right? 
So it's, it's very similar at the times. And um, I mean, wherever I go, it's either like a newsroom or a restaurant, I pay attention to like the, you know, <laughs> diversity. how many women, how many men, you know, are there enough yeah. like, I don't know, Middle Eastern black people. That's how I, you know, try to understand the atmosphere. That was the first thing when I did at the times I said like, how many black people are working here? So that's my reference, right? You know, then in that case, I'll understand, you know, the atmosphere. And then second, I said, how many women? So with both yeah. my <laughs> questions <laughs> weren't as answered very uh, and are, are, are they talking about diversity? Because uh, during my time in the journalism.co.uk, I interviewed many people in the Financial Times, in the Sky News, and every single person, every single journalist raised issues like diversity. We are working on diversity and development in the newsroom. So in the Times, they are raising the diversity issues or not? Yeah, it's a very good question. Actually, they do. I mean, I mean, I'm lucky. I'm quite lucky because I work for. Um, so this is an internship for a month, which they normally have you like for a week only. But it's good. Like I just somehow had this work placement for a month, so I work with the Times three days a week and with the Sunday Times two days a week, both for the foreign news department. Wow. And Brilliant. my deputy, yeah, thank you. What my deputy editor from the Times foreign news department, our lovely Susie Jagger. Like, I think this was the first day I just um, mentioned about this diversity and she said, yeah, you've got a point. Of course, definitely look around. And that's why we want people, you to, I mean, you know, raise your voice here. That was a very good moment, you know. I'm quite encouraged by that. But the thing is, um, I mean, it's still, uh, to be honest, realistically, it's still nothing. I mean, there's a lot to do and it's only the beginning, but it's still I think it's important. I respect to the fact that we are talking about diversity now, like compared to before. I think it's um, it's it's good. It's a good process. Uh, yeah. Sam, if I could come here, um, just yeah, to please. comment on Hilal's uh, point, is that diversity here in England now it's a good thing and a bad thing. To be honest with you, um, I, I don't have sh- any shame in saying that I take advantage of it. <laughs> I have no shame in saying that. Uh, usually wherever I go, I get hired because I'm the diversity candidate. So, <laughs> so they, they want someone to tick boxes uh, and that this, that's why they hire me. And pretty much to talk about things to fit my diversity background and to, to look better. So the organizations look better, you know, um, that, oh, look, we are hiring refugees now. Um, it's, it's a bad thing, but again, when you need money and when you need a job, you would take advantage of whatever you can get, right? So, yeah, so what, what you're saying yeah, that they I, are just I, hiring people because they need to take boxes of diversity? Yeah. One of the reasons, the one of the main reasons. I can't agree more. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Uh, but um, again, uh, and, and another thing is that they hire these people to look better and more uh, conscientious and, and um, more welcoming. The other bad thing about it is that they ask people to talk about only like their diversity, for example. Like if you're a refugee, okay, just tell us about refugee issues. If you're, I don't know, black, tell us about black issues. If you're uh, gay, tell us about gay issues. But okay, yes, I'm a refugee, but I want to talk about other issues because I'm an expert in other issues as well. This is, no, no, no. Yeah. I think That's Vivian won't to jump I in here. I to raise, actually. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I was, uh, I was, uh, so there's, um, there's 
uh, I think I had a note earlier about this. So, I mean, this this was a struggle. Like every time when when I was trying to talk uh, talking about my journalistic career, I was saying like, so I speak these languages, and I want I'm, I'm a journalist. I want to work in the UK's like media industry, and then they're like, oh, okay, so. Well, you were like, kind of like Turkey's expert, right? So you can speak Kurdish and Turkish. It's good. Like, I mean, would be very useful for a Middle East task. And I'm like, no, I'm a journalist. So we can do a research about, I mean, I'd like to write a story about and travelers in the UK it could be like homeless people of the UK, anything. And then it was super difficult to convince people. But there's one thing, which is a good thing. Like when I was working with the journalism.co.uk, I had a, I had an opportunity to write this article about how to report channel crossing as a migrant journalist. I think it was an, it was an honor for me to write that piece. Mm. But on the other hand, I was willing to write um, you know, things about UK, European people or US. It's not, I'm not a journalist on, who only can speak Turkish but write about Turkey. No, it's more than that. But what was fascinating, like a few days ago, I was, um, again, with the Sunday Times, I said like, you know, guys, I mean, it's all, everything is about Ukraine and Russia nowadays. There's much things happening in Turkey. So, I mean, do you need me, like, as a researcher? Because I can research. I'm a good journalist. And they said, oh, why don't you help us with this tennis coach in the UK story? I said, oh, yeah, I'll do that. And then I spent, like, one or two days about that. I did some interviews and everything. The next day, with the very, like, low expectation, I was only thinking, oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm being useful. My name was on the paper, so I was surprised. So yeah. that was the moment I said, yes, so my journalistic skills are being recognized. So this is kind of, you know, the point where I wanted to be. Yeah, I have a comment on this, but Vivian, please go ahead. Um, sorry, just just very quickly, just um, with the diversity issue, um, Abdul's completely right. So much more needs to be done. Um, the recent statistics are that 96% of journalists in the UK are white, which is more than um, many other professions. Um, and particularly if you think about the power that journalism has, it's important that it really genuinely reflects society. And so we need to hold these companies to account. If you want to do something, Something about diversity. What are you really doing? Is it tokenistic or is it real? And also, Abdul's completely right about the point about, um, you know, th- th- it, I describe it as being trendy and what, what's the latest trend within diversity. And I think mm. there is certain trends around working with refugees. And so we saw it um, with with Syrians a few years ago. Um, people wanted to get involved, but they wanted Syrians. They wanted, you know, someone who had come over the, um, the the Mediterranean who wanted to tell their story. And now we're seeing it with those who are coming from Afghanistan. Organisations want to work with Afghan journalists. But ultimately, you know, there are so many people um, who have been exiled from many different countries. And part of my responsibility, as I see it, is to be able to make sure um, all of those people um, have the opportunity, not just those countries that are very um, topical of a moment. And I think also Halal's completely right. Um, We can't just write about being a refugee and that refugee experience. Uh, this is a big argument, Vivian, and and you know this, but many publications just seeing us as an expert of Egypt, Turkey, Syria, and refugee topics. So why they are hiring us to write about the Brexit, to write about the 10 Downing Street parties, 
and they, they have their own correspondent, they have their white journalist, and <laughs> this is a, a, a reality now. And if they want to write about Egypt, okay, we can commission Osama. If they want to write about Turkey, they, they can commission Hilal. So this is a big argument in, in the newsroom, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, and I think people have to, to work hard and to push and break down these doors because I think there is there are a lot of, um, you know, areas, particularly when you look at... Um, you know, the hierarchy within these organisations, you know, the private school educated, um, the people who are from the higher, higher classes, they and, and they're white and they're male, they tend to be foreign correspondents. Um, you know, they tend to work in investigations. And so it's really hard when you don't fit into that to be able to break through those journalistic areas. But what I would say is that, you know, we don't give up. Um, we, we keep pushing, we keep trying to get these doors down. Um, we come up with ideas. Um, what I always encourage everyone who's been through our project to do is, is you guys become your own network. And so when, when, when someone breaks through and makes it, um, you've got that senior person who has more of an understanding and an insight into your experience and what you have to offer, who's more willing to take a risk and say, okay, well, you know, what, why can't Osama write about Brexit? Why can't he write about, um, you know, the monarchy and, and Prince Andrew and, and whatever else? Um, but, you know, we, we don't, because it's difficult, my philosophy is we don't give up. We ju we've just got to work harder um, to break down these barriers. And I think this is one of the most um, amazing thing during the fellowship program, Vivian, during the, the, the project. We um, found ourselves able to write about English topics. I interviewed the deputy chief of, uh, editor of The Sun regarding the new Secrecy Act in the UK. Hilal did the same thing. And I think our colleague in Bloomberg and in other organizations, we found ourselves able to write as a British journalist. It, it wasn't a problem at all. Yeah, and I, and I think that's incredibly important because it goes back to your earlier question about um, finding jobs. And I think the, the reality is, um, you know, uh, as someone who was part of the first cohort, they went to work with a B2B, a business-to-business -business, um, magazine. And, you know, they, they, they got a job out of it. So it's also moving where... The, the the jobs are and they're they're less likely to be in in niche areas in in you know that require just a knowledge about Egypt or just a knowledge about Syria it's yeah. it's um you know going for these more kind of obscure places but I think um you know sometimes people feel more comfortable writing about what they know and using that 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 knowledge yeah. that they've developed over the you know the the 20 years or whatever but Ultimately, as a journalist, you have to be adaptable um, and know that journalism is really about storytelling. It's about interviewing. It's about fact finding and research. And so a good journalist should be able to apply that to different um, different themes, different yeah, topics. And I, I think you remember when Hot Topics offered me the job the first three months in the fellowship. I, I was worried about how, how can I write about technology trends in the world? How can I write about cloud technology or whatever? But I, I found myself spent three months and wrote about 12 or 15 articles about technology topics. So it, it was amazing experience. 
I have to say, just to not to embarrass you, Osama, but we, we were so impressed with you. Um, you just were prolific. You went from somebody who didn't have um, very much confidence in their English writing to sort of writing again and again and again. And yeah. and it was, um, you know, that's what exactly what I'm talking about. It's about having, um, you know, a, a, um, being intelligent, being curious um, and just immersing yourself in that topic. And, and that's what journalism is about. Brilliant. Yeah, Vivian, there's something there's something with these people from Egypt. Osama is a dentist. <laughs> Khaled is an engineer. They're, they're hiding something. What is the secret code? <laughs> we are the country of the magic, brother. We can do anything. <laughs> exactly. We can do anything. <laughs> Okay, um, I want to wrap up with a question for, for all of you, Khaled, Hilal, and Abdul Wahab, and I will end with Vivian regarding the project. But Abdul, what's your goals, journalistic goals, in 2022? Uh, for my, my goals for, for this year, um, t- uh, to finish off my podcast, so I'm making, I think, uh, seven episodes this time. Uh, it was only five episodes, uh, season one. And um, I hope uh, this is it. This is pretty much. It's very, very simple. I've already started. So I've already started with episode one, so I will try to finish uh, seven episodes. I already have five episodes ready to launch, uh, to to publish. So two more episodes, and I would have achieved my goal this year. And uh, try to do more stand-up comedy. Brilliant. Good luck, Abdul and um, Hilal. What are your goals for this year? Well, I mean, yes. First of all, although it's just a temporary job with the time, so we, we don't know what happens next. I I want to get a like a permanent job. Actually, that's what my, the first goal I say. <laughs> um, the second, I mean, I've been writing. So I've been working about this book project. There's this book. So very short project, I'll, I'll say that. Hopefully I will finish that one. And then I think these two is already <laughs> quite big calls for me. Yeah. Good luck, Lal. Yeah, you, Thank you very you much. You deserve all the best. And Khalid, what about you? Yeah, good luck, uh, Abdul and Hilal, with your goals. So for me, like my short-term goal for this year will be like um, establishing a new series um, about uh, political prisoners in the MENA, Middle East and North Africa. Um, hopefully I can like establish it from this year and it will be an open uh, series uh, with uh, representing like different countries uh, in the region and yeah, um, to dig um, uh, into their experience during their detentions and re- represent it. Uh, um, um, and, and see the impact uh, of that experience in their real life after uh, um, this um, period. And yeah, um, the second goal is uh, trying to um, achieve a post-graduation degree but in political science. So yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Look, Abdul, he is now giving up on the journalism and will go to political science. <laughs> No, and he will yeah. be a political researcher soon. It's it's supporting my experience, <laughs> my practical experience in, yep. in journalism. But but Khaled is already an engineer. He knows how to get things done. So <laughs> exactly. <he's back. laughs> Thank you, bro. Good luck, Khaled. And Vivian, my last question in this episode to you: What about the refugee journalism project? 
What are your goals for the project uh, during this year? Okay, firstly, just to say good luck to to all of you with your with your goals, and please stay in touch. And my short term goal is to meet in person with Abdul um, because it's been too long. Um, but in terms of again, sort of a medium term goal, what what we've discovered over the last six months is that we're getting lots of questions about how we do things, what we've done what's been the impact so one of the things i really want to do is to put together like a toolkit on um advice um based on our experience of organizations who want to hire um people with a um, refugee background um and so what we hope we're, we're going to put that together um hopefully i'm going to come to some of you and to interview you but we're also going to translate it into um different languages because i think you know although we're only a small project based in the uk what's happening in the uk is happening all over the world um particularly in latin america at the moment um there's lots of journalists on the move and so i think um you know it'll be useful hopefully for other organizations for us to just collate some of the things that we've learned and some of the sort of best practices that we recommend um in a you know in a, in a concise um publication Brilliant. I wish you all the best during this year. Thank you very much for Abdul Wahab Tahan, Hilal Seven, and Khaled Shalabi. And for you, Vivian, it's an opportunity to thank you for everything, for your support. Uh, you were an important part because I'm here on Colin because of you and because of the project. I want to thank you very much for your support, for your help, and I wish you all the best and good luck with the project. Thank you very much. Thank you, Osama. Thank you for those kind words. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much, Osama. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Osama, for your host. And yeah, good luck. See with you next time. Time. See you. Talk later. Bye.